0: TV presents the Dave Despain Show. Hey everybody, it's Randy Cardoon, and welcome to another edition of Talking About Cars. Everybody has a car story. Dave Despain, you may know him as a longtime motorsports broadcaster, currently on MAV TV's The Dave Despain Show. And if you think you've seen his work practically everywhere in this
1: media world. You're probably right. Started with uh, Turner Broadcasting, went from there to ESPN, went from there to Speed Vision, and then when Speed Vision became Speed... Um, that was where I I had a long run with speed and then in uh, sort of freelancing along the way did CBS, NBC and my very first television show was ABC Wide World of Sports so I've kind of covered the the waterfront Nice resume Give me a good story about the cars your parents drove when you were young and something you remember about those vehicles It's interesting you ask that because I always kind of wondered where the racing thing came from. Grandpa was a mechanic, an auto mechanic, but I didn't get any of that. I mean, I got zero of that, and my dad had no clue. So there was no motorsports background or, you know, there was just nothing to draw on, and yet I can clearly remember... It was a 56 Ford station wagon. I was maybe 13, so born in 46, 56, this is 1960, maybe, listening to the Indy 500. And, and Sid Collins and Freddie Agabation with a wonderful gravelly voice that Freddie had. Uh, and, and we're at this little lake in Iowa, and I'm desperately trying to tune in the 500 broadcast on the, on the car radio. Everybody else is, you know, cooking hot dogs and swimming in the lake. So I don't know where it came from, but I have that distinct memory. Maybe in that same car going to, uh, it's a state park in Missouri, Roaring River, which lived up to its name during the night. We pulled in late at night, parked and camped right next to the river, Big rainstorm came through. Rangers are coming down. Get out of here! Get out of here! We're gonna have our flash flood. And watching my old man try to get that fifty-six Ford up the hill, slip on the clutch, thinking we were gonna slide back into the into the uh, torrent. I remember that pretty well.
0: When you first started driving, then what was the vehicle you drove in high school?
1: Nineteen fifty-one Ford. I wrecked my dad's 57 Chevy station wagon and he was a traveling salesman so that was a real bad thing to that's do so the well, first thing was that's it, you're done, you can't drive and then they relented and I bought the 51 Ford and wrecked it and I'm 16 you know, as I'm over for 2 by the time I turn 17 so yeah my formative automotive experiences were not very good and i don't know if that helped send me into the motorcycle world or i mean that's really where i come from is motorcycles and that fascination started probably while i was walking during that period of time having wrecked both the family car and my own car
0: where did you see motorcycles what were the examples that really led you down that
1: path it's so weird there was a Guy in my class, so now i 'm maybe a sophomore in high school, and he was a big car guy, uh, and his dad he had a really fast fifty six Ford We would go to the drag strip all the time before he got his driver 's license. His dad, who was a mechanic, built him a little mini bike, a purely homemade you know mini bike. And he didn't care about it, he, he, was, just, he was a car guy, he didn't, just didn't care about that minibike. And I was fascinated by that minibike, so he just let me ride it. So I would hide it in the bushes down the, down the road, because I couldn't bring that home. <laughs> I'd go get it, fired it up, noisy, didn't have a muffler on it, careen around town. and You know, this is southeast Iowa in the 60s, it, I don't know if it even had a license plate, probably not, nobody cared. So those were back then. The the speed—I remember—the speed limit in Iowa was reasonable and proper, which I think would still be the correct speed limit anywhere in the world. Which was reasonable and proper. Oh, that's what—that was the state law. It wasn't numerical. No, it wasn't numerical. It was reasonable and proper. I think my definition of reasonable and proper may have varied from from the norm, but yeah. So it was fun. How many
0: people out there really realize when they see you on? TV doing all these NASCAR things and race car things, that you really got your broadcasting started with motorcycles.
1: <laughs> Uh, probably not many, because it was so long ago, you know, it was like the Stone Age. But, yeah, you're exactly right. I um, The short version of the story is I wanted to be a motorcycle racer. I was very bad at it, uh, but realized I was pretty good at announcing motorcycle races. Got a job with the sanctioning body, the American Motorcycle Association. Went to Daytona in 1975 for the Daytona 200 and ABC Wide World of Sports showed up at the last minute without a motorcycle racing analyst. My boss, one of the great bullshitters of all time looked the CBS producer in the eye and said, you should use Dave. He's got a lot of electronic media experience. Which is true. I worked at a 250 watt daytime radio station in Iowa when I was 16 years old. Well, there you go. What more experience could you need to on wide, wide World of Sports. The producer looked at me with this very skeptical eye and said, tell you what, go over there get that cameraman, look in the camera and in 40 seconds tell me, tell I'm sorry, in 40 seconds tell somebody who's never seen a motorcycle race why they should watch the Daytona 200. I, I can do that. And I, I reeled off 41 seconds that basically said, you know, ladies and gentlemen brave athletes roaring around Daytona faster than Richard Petty, inches from the concrete wall, protected only by a thin layer of cowhide. You're really- need to watch this race that's good anyway you're hired so my first television show was abc wide world of sports shoulder to shoulder with keith jackson back in the days when they had those gold blazers and looked like century 21 agents that was me what is in dave despain's garage 10 motorcycles nine motorcycles i just sold my uh, track bike i'm Sixty-nine years old now, so I'm going to give up going to the racetrack. I think. Uh, so nine motorcycles. Like what? I have a variety ranging from a little XR100 dirt Honda to a Honda Gold Wing, which is a big, you know, uh, touring motorcycle. Probably my favorite, my you know, daily driver, if you will, is a uh, Kawasaki KLR650, which is a Swiss Army knife. Doesn't do anything well but does a lot of things okay. It's been to the Arctic Circle. It's been to Cabo twice. It's been to Key West repeatedly. It's my favorite, not because it's a great motorcycle, but but, but because it's taken me. I've had so many great experiences with it. Tell me when you went
0: to, to the Arctic Circle, it was during the summer.
1: Yeah. Okay, yeah. Sure. Yeah. And that's another whole story, but I rode it from Georgia to Alaska. It was uh, 6500 miles. And great a great trip. I loved. I will. I will go back to Alaska. That's in the motorcycle shop in the basement in the garage. Is my wife's F one fifty crew cab, and my mother's Pontiac Vibe with a hundred and five thousand miles on it. We had to take mom's keys away, so that's my car. And if I need to haul something or particularly a motorcycle or go to the dump, my wife alone owns me her pickup truck. So that's my automotive life. So that I don't sound completely clueless about the car world, I should tell you about my college days. In Fairfield, Iowa, in the 1960s, there was a little Presbyterian college, Parsons College, 500 students, been there forever. A New Jersey entrepreneur bought the college and reconfigured it, made it essentially a, uh, this is, you know, now we're into the height of the Vietnam War, made it a diploma mill at which Ivy League dropouts could get could could maintain their student deferments, so in a town of 5,000 people that formerly had a college of 250 people, there were 5,000 students, all of them rich kids from Ivy League colleges, stuck in this little cornfield town in the middle of Iowa and the culture shock was phenomenal. The manifestation of this that has to do with your podcast is that these guys were car- crazy and had all the money in the world. I walked out of the pool hall one day, and this would have been 1960... I don't remember the year. Seven, maybe? And I hear this... And I look up the street, and here comes a 427 Cobra with the blue paint and the white stripes. One of the original 427 Cobras bought by some college kid for, I think he was from Iran who had more money than, and he pulls into the empty parking space and says you want to go for a ride and I went oh yeah there were 53 Corvettes registered in Jefferson County, Iowa in 1967 there weren't 53 Corvettes within the next thousand miles and it was an outrageous uh sort of automotive time. When the Hemi came along, there were Hemis everywhere. I mean, you go go to Des Moines, which was the big city, you might see one. You come to Fairfield, there were a half dozen. It was great, it was cool. It was muscle car heaven.
0: What were you driving at the time?
1: I had a, uh, a 1959 Enfield Indian vertical twin motorcycle, which was the mo- worst motorcycle ever built. <laughs> but see, I had all these, I didn't need a car because I had all these friends who had cool cars. I had a buddy that had a 55 Chevy that was a rocket ship. Uh, we'd go drag race every weekend. One of my buddies had a Hemi. I'll never forget, we were going to the drag strip little blacktop road in the middle of nowhere, Iowa, and it's pissing down rain, and he says, watch this, and stands on it and kicks in the whatever it was, I think it maybe had two four barrels, I think it goes, wow, lights up the tires, and did a complete 360 in the blacktop, and he saved it, I mean, it was like Danny Sullivan at the Indy 500, I thought, we're going to die, and he just, he spun the thing in its own, you know, length, and gathered it up, and, and went, and I said, said, we have two choices. You can either let me out now, or you never, ever, ever do anything like that again. So he kind of eased up a little bit. I mean, I liked cars. It wasn't that I didn't like cars. It was just that I was obsessed with motorcycles.
0: The vehicles, and I'm a car or motorcycle, really, in this category. The vehicles that... You get, had to sell, gave away, whatever, you didn't have any more. If there was one of
1: them you could get back, which one would it be? Boy, that's tough. I had a Buick Riviera at one point, which seems odd for a guy who wasn't really much of a car guy. And Don't ask me what prompted me to buy that. I thought I probably was thought at some point that I was going to impress girls with it. I don't know. I don't remember. What the big, long, huge! That early. Yeah. What, wait, what year did Rivieras? Well, they came out in uh, '63,
0: '64, but when they had the '65 with the uh, hidden headlights. But then they got long after that, and then the bow tail showed Mine up around. Mine was a long 70. one, yeah. Yeah, so it could sir. have been like sixty
1: six to sixty seven. I bet. 70. Yeah. Okay. And I, you know, I mean, I drove it for six months, and then one day went, w- w- why do I, why do I have this car? I don't. <laughs> this is not exactly me. Uh, but if I could have one back, what would it be? I had a. Uh, an XS-11 Yamaha, which was the, at the time the big four-cylinder, you know, sort of the biggest, baddest motor, uh, that I m- sort of modified into a touring bike. And I rode that bike a lot of miles, sixty, seventy thousand 70,000 miles, made several trips out here to the coast on it, cross-country trips. I was announcing uh, dirt track races at the time, And had this fantasy that at some point I might do the entire circuit. I might announce every race on the circuit. I never quite got to that. But I remember going to Syracuse, New York, and announcing the mile on Sunday afternoon, getting up Monday morning and riding to San Jose to do the mile the following weekend. That was a fun trip. Stopped at Bonneville on the way and went, wow, this is cool. I hope I get to come back here sometime. Day and did got to come back for the world's fastest motorcycle shootout when Chris Carr went 350. Uh, and there again, you know, the, the sort of the cross pollination. When you go to Bonneville and just walk down through the pits, it's different now because they they've sort of separated the cars and bikes. The bikes have their own meat, But but the first time I went there in, in the 70s, I guess when I or 80, I don't remember. We did a TV show from there uh, when Don Vesco was trying to set the World Motorcycle Record. And so it was cars, bikes, jets, streamliners, and you walk down through the pits and go, this is just the coolest thing ever. (laughs) Because over here is this 40-foot-long jet that is uh, an aerodynamic wonder built by the best engineers in the world. And over here is a flathead, ford making 500 horsepower and next to it is a triumph twin motorcycle that you know has no business going and it's all uh sort of seat of the pants engineering i really 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 like bonneville i think anybody who has an interest in Not even necessarily internal combustion, just any interest in taking power and turning it into speed, you need to go to Bonneville.
0: Let's say that you have unlimited funds. Let's say that you have a chance to buy several cars, but what's the number one car on Dave Despain's
1: list of I want that vehicle? I would buy one of those Mercedes van things. I don't know what a the... Sprinter? Like the a... new ones? Yeah, the big thing that you can put three or four motorcycles in the back. Um, okay. Um, That'd be cool. One yeah. that looks like a delivery van, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they're big.
0: A sprinter. A
1: yeah, Dodge just, made
0: them when they were combined at the same time. Yeah,
1: and I'm thinking, you know, because I think that goes back to my motorcycle racing heritage. Because when I was racing, the cool thing to have was a long bed uh, Ford Econoline van and and you would it, and there was sort of a formula that everybody used the same formula that had been proven over many, many miles. You put a double bunk bed right behind the seats and then you put the bikes, you could put two, three if you crowded, bikes behind the bunk. And so two guys, typically an expert and a novice, would take off from wherever and go travel the national circuit and take turns driving and race five times a week and uh, and do it all out of that van, so the the motorcycle hauler van is a big part of my you know recollection in life. I had one. Mine was a mine was a, a six cylinder Ford Econoline with a, a motor between the two front seats, um, and not very. I bought it from a guy, it had been a telephone company repair truck, and I bought it from him for $100, and he said, uh, I said, well, you know, is it any good? He said, yeah, it'll do great as long as you don't take it very far from home. And I said, okay. We put four motorcycles in the back of it and left the next morning for L.A. from Iowa. MAV-TV Motorsports Broadcaster
0: Dave Despain. Check out all of our other Talking About Cars podcasts here on SoundCloud, KNX 1070, and Older Archive podcasts on my own SoundCloud.com forward slash Randy Cardoon account. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. I'm Randy Crudoon. Join me next time as we have some fun talking about cars.